Open your Bibles if you would. And I mean, I'm never quite sure in this day and age when so many people have their Bibles on a device, is it more appropriate to say open to or turn to? Or does it matter? It doesn't matter. Okay, I'm never quite sure, you know. Last week we began a study. Oh, did I say Judges chapter 3? Did I say that? Yeah, Judges chapter 3. Um, this is going to be an interesting morning. Um, last week we began a study and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's going to take us all the way through the month of May. Um, but before I get started on that, I have to ask a question. Uh, two questions, really. I'm going to assume that most of us here remember the transition from what TVs used to be to flat screens, right? Right. Most of us remember that. Do you have a really good memory of your reaction when you went from whatever that was called to the flat screen? Do you have your, remember your reaction? Okay, how about this one? How many of you remember the transition from black and white to color? Yeah, there's quite a few that remember the remember your reaction the first time you looked at a color TV. It was like, wow, that is amazing stuff, right? How many remember the transition from black and white photography to color? That number should be decidedly less. Yeah, a few of us, a few of us here. Just remember the shot, the wow. Yeah, well, just kind of keep that dynamic in mind as we get your text this morning. Uh, the reason we're talking about the Holy Spirit is because we have the day of Pentecost coming up, that day that we remember and give thanks for the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit given to the church, given to us as believers. Uh, we talk about that in Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 2 tells us about that. Um, that entrance into our lives, both individually and collectively, of the Spirit whose presence animates us, gives life to our individual and corporate identity. And we're going to talk a lot more about that uh, as we go. Last week, we had, just kind of, we had an overview of Scripture, uh, trying to at least start to answer the question, uh, who, the, who is the Holy Spirit? Right? And if you were here last week, you'll recall, uh, we said three things about the Holy Spirit. We said, He's God. That's it. He's not part of God. He's not a shadow or a reflection of God. The Holy Spirit's God. The second thing we said is that the Holy Spirit is person. He is not an impersonal force or an energy. I read a really interesting article refuting that this week. It was fascinating. And um, if you remember, we said, I said last week that one of the reasons, one of the ways we are reminded in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is personal is that whenever the translators of Scripture use a pronoun, they say He. They refer to the Holy Spirit as He. And we were very clear that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has gender. It doesn't make the Holy Spirit masculine. It's a reflection that He is person, as opposed to saying it, which is impersonal. Fascinating article that I read this week. It said you can't use that to argue for the personality of the Holy Spirit because the pronoun actually isn't masculine in the Greek. Well, that was a wonderful argument, but it was irrelevant because we never said we demonstrated his personality by the pronoun. The pronoun reflects his personality. We demonstrate his personality by looking at the attributes of personality. For example, we talked about the Holy Spirit being grieved. You cannot grieve an impersonal force. We talked about the Holy Spirit's rational intellect processing 
all of which are attributes of personality, not an, in, not an impersonal force. So we saw last week, the Holy Spirit is person. And he's working, has been working, is working, and will continue to work. So we looked at that last week. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at some of the same things, only we're going to focus on the Old Testament. And rather than take a kind of a broad view like we did last week, we're going to zero in on a smaller concept, a smaller uh, phrase, if you will, in the Old Testament. And we're going to try to do a couple of different things. One is we're going to try to refine our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works, specifically how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. And then also we want to move towards a perspective because when we get into the teachings of our Lord and when we get into the day of Pentecost and the things that happened there, it really helps if we see those things the same way they saw them. Because we come to an understanding of the text from already having understood much of what the text says. And we want to kind of get, if we can, as we work through the Old Testament, the perspective of that person that's only seeing things in black and white and suddenly sees things in color and gets that, oh, wow, experience. That's kind of one of the things we want to try to do. Now, looking forward just a little bit, next Sunday we'll be looking at what Luke says about the birth the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the first part of his gospel. We referred to that last week. And then on the 9th, we're going to look at what Jesus said about the coming of the Holy Spirit. That will be primarily out of John's gospel. And then on the 16th, be sure you're here on the 16th, uh, because Sam is going to be bringing a teaching. Sam Mabathi is going to be teach, bringing a teaching on Shavat or the Festival of Weeks. And if you're wondering, well, what does the Festival of Weeks have to do with the day of Pentecost, you really need to be here. Because all of that ties together. And I'm not going to explain any of it. I'm not going to steal his thunder. I know he's got some really good stuff that he'll be sharing about Shabbat, the Feast of Weeks, and how that ties in to the day of Pentecost. And then on the 23rd, we'll look directly at the events of Acts chapter 2. But having said all that, let's get to our text this morning, Judges chapter 3. And we're going to begin in the seventh verse. And the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan the Shushthaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the sons of Israel served Cushan the Shushthaim eight years. And when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. Othanel, the son of Keneb, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushan, the Shashthim king of Mesopotamia, into his hand so that he prevailed over Cushan, the Shashthim. And the land had rest forty years. And Othanel, the son of Kenaz, died. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look to your word this morning, we pray that our hearts and minds would be open to what you have for us, Lord. Father, keep us from the thoughts, the teachings of man. We want to hear from you. Help us to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things we talked about last week, I think I pointed it out. If not, you'll certainly notice this morning, is that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit in particular, most of what we, can, we get, we get by inference. For example, I said the Holy Spirit is God. You don't find the text saying, oh, by the way, folks, the Holy Spirit's God. But we look at the ways the Holy Spirit's referred to, and we conclude that He's God. We conclude the Holy Spirit is person. But you don't find the text saying, oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit's a person. 
but we glean that from the things that are said about Him. Again, Ephesians talked about grieving the Spirit. Romans talked about the mind of the Spirit. Corinthians talked about the Spirit's will and the Spirit in determinate action. And that points to personhood. Well, this morning I want to continue in that same matter of looking at something that is said and concluding from that understanding about the Holy Spirit. So the phrase we're going to look at, we're going to zero in on a very small phrase this morning, is this phrase we saw in our text that the Spirit of the Lord came on. And it's not always worded the same. Sometimes it's the Spirit of God came on or the Holy Spirit came on. But it's that basic equation, the Spirit of God coming on someone. It's a fairly simple phrase, but it's got an awful lot of meaning to it because what we're going to observe in this phrase is a pattern, and it's not an absolute pattern. But it's, it's a fairly accurate general pattern. It's an accurate general pattern of how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament and how that's going to set us up to see the drastic change that comes in the New Testament. Um, because, you know, we tend to think things have always been the way they are. And the way as Christians we react with God, the way as Christians we do business with God, the way as followers of Christ we under, we tend to think it was always that way. Well, that wasn't the case at all. And we want to see if we can, if we can get into their mindset just a little bit, that'll give us an appreciation for what we enjoy as followers of Christ. Our text says, when the Holy Spirit came. Now, if you know your Bibles at all, you know the basic chronology, right? You have the creation story, you have the flood, you have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people go to Egypt, Moses come, leads them out. On the way out, they receive the law. God says, this is how you'll serve me. The people respond, everything you have said, we will do. Uh, Joshua comes along, leads them into the promised land. They start wiping out the Canaanites, and everything's looking good. All the pieces are in place. Everything looks really good, and then the wheels all fall off. And the wheels all fall off because they didn't do what they said they would do. They did not obey God. And so God would do what? He would raise up a deliverer. Someone who would first point out to them what they were doing wrong, straighten that out, and then along the way, whatever foreign power God had raised up to get their attention, they'd wipe them out. And then it would happen all over again. And, and in, a, in a way, I mean, you, you can read the book of Judges and be really excited because you see God's constant provision for the people, constantly giving them the leadership they need, constantly providing the deliverance they need, you can also get really depressed because the people keep making the same mistake and it just loops back around, right? And we keep seeing this happen. Well, time and time again, when that, in that cycle of events, the people not doing what they were supposed to do, not obeying the law, not following God as he said to follow them, and a foreign power raising up, and God bringing in a deliverer, bringing in a judge, we see this phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, or whoever was the deliverer or the judge, right? We see that, it happens here. Um, we see it happens in, in chapter 6 of Judges about Gideon. Same thing, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. We see it in Judges 11, talking about Jephthah, another judge, same pattern, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. Then we get to chapter 14. Samson. It doesn't just say it once, it says it three times. 
the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson. And every time the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson, what happened? He'd go out there and whack the Philistines, right? And then cycle back around again. And we see like a microcosm of that cycle in the life of the judge, in the person of Samson. You get into um, Samuel, we have the same thing, the Spirit of the Lord coming on Saul, then on David. You get into Christ, that same thing continues to happen. Now in each one of these circumstances, or each one of these situations, there, there's unique elements. The people are different, the, you know, the actual details of the event are different, um, and especially the people involved, and it's always God coming on an individual. The individual involved has a very different relationship with God. I mean, you, take, you take David, the Spirit of God coming on David. Now, David was far from perfect, we know that. But he had a heart after God. David's, David's inclination towards God was pretty strong, right? So the Spirit of God came on somebody very much inclined toward God. But it also says the Spirit of God came on Balaam, back in Numbers, who was pagan. Balaam was a pagan oracle. He's way over here. So you've got David, and then you got Balaam, and then you got Samson in the middle, and depending on what day of the week it was, he may be over here, he may be over here. Samson's bouncing all over the place. So it's, there's not a consistency about the Holy Spirit and the kind of person it's happening with regards to. The circumstances are so different. The details are so different, and yet we have the same dynamic. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So just looking at that phrase, the Spirit of the Lord, or the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, however, however the particular passage words it, what can we observe? Well, the first thing I would observe, that the Holy Spirit came upon people from a place of externality. It's the Holy Spirit coming on from outside. Now, there's at least three different words, and I make no pretense of being a Hebrew scholar at all, but I can use a dictionary. There's at least three different words that are used to describe the Holy Spirit coming on these individuals. One of the words describes the Holy Spirit coming on like you'd put a garment on someone, like you'd throw a cloak over someone. That's external. Um, another word has the sense of overtaking, like you catch up with somebody, either for good or for ill. There's no, there's no valuation there. But again, coming from outside and catching up. Another one of the words is used to describe financial blessings or prosperity. Again, in other words, coming up and catching up. All of these words are words from the outside, right? All of which originate outside of the person. So the idea that we as Christians are used to of the Spirit dwelling up within us or the Spirit dwelling within someone and rising up within them to do something would have been totally strange, totally outside the mental picture of somebody in the Old Testament. In fact, they would have thought it pagan. Because that's how the pagans thought. And you can go back in, in, into ancient Greek literature and you can find those kind of things described. In fact, there, there's one instance, you know, yeah, I'm, more, I'm more familiar with, with, with Greek history. When the Greeks fought, they fought in a highly disciplined unit. And when all of a sudden somebody in that unit would just like go nuts and they would just run out of the line and start hacking and cleaving at the enemy and they would do some great heroic feat, the way that was described was literally as having a demon. 
they would use that word. Now, they didn't have the negative connotation we attach to that word. But that was their understanding of it. So the idea that there would be something inside of you that would just like well up and then you go do something crazy, that's pagan. It, as far as the perspective of an Old Testament believer, that just is not on your radar at all, right? So that's the first thing. It's outside and it comes upon you externally. It comes upon the person externally. The second thing I would note, just looking at this phrase, is the Holy Spirit's presence was not relational. Now again, that sounds off to us. Because we're used to the Holy Spirit's personal. We know that. We're used to the Holy Spirit. Dwell, we understand those concepts. But as we move through the examples in the Old Testament, we just don't see the dynamic of a personal relationship between the Spirit of God and the person He's working with. Because, number three, the Spirit's empowerment is to a specific purpose or end. It's not, it's not general. There's always a, a project involved. A really good example of that is in the book of Exodus, when God has just gotten done to, telling Moses, you're going to build this incredible tabernacle, tent to worship me in, and you're going to have all this really cool stuff inside, and the priests are going to have these really elaborate garments, and Moses is thinking, great, where is that stuff going to come from? Right? And then the Lord says this to Moses in Exodus 31.5, See, I have called by name Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, the tribe of Judah. I have filled them with the Spirit of God. There's the phrase, filled them with the Spirit of God. In wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, cutting of stones, set them and in the carving of timber in all manner of workmanship. So they got these guys and he wasn't the only one and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon them to do what? Build the tabernacle, make the tent, sew the clothes, make all the, all, the, all the utensils for inside, right? But there's no indication they did anything else. Or that once they were done, it continued. It was a very purposeful presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Think again about, Sam, about Samson, right? Everything of the Spirit's presence in Samson's life seems to be external, and it was not personal. There's no personal interaction between Samson and God. And it's always, the, the Spirit's coming on Samson is always purposeful and to a practical end. The Spirit comes on Samson, he kills a bunch of Philistines, and we're done. Okay? And the Holy Spirit's presence, fourthly, was occasional. A specific need would arise, the Holy Spirit would come, the problem would be solved, and everything goes back to the way it was before. And there's no essential change in anybody's character. The people involved, they don't change. we got a bunch of dead Philistines, but Samson doesn't change. Consider this, again, about Samson. He's such a good example. Uh, you know the story. He's with an ungodly woman, and he's being ungodly, and he's gotten a haircut. And in chapter 16, uh, verse 20, uh, Delilah yells, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. And here's the key. This is, this is enormous. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. How is that possible? 
I mean, the Spirit of God had come upon this guy, and he had done unbelievable things, all of which involved dead Philistines. I did incredible stuff. But now that very power has left him, and he's totally clueless to that reality. Evidently, there is no awareness on this guy's part of the presence of the Holy Spirit other than his one loss record. He's like 10 and 0 or whatever the number is. That's the only knowledge he has of the Holy Spirit's presence. So that when the Holy Spirit isn't there, he doesn't have a clue. Now, honestly, we read about Samson. What do we think about the guy? What comes to your mind? Loser. How could this guy not know? Let's just be honest. I mean, that's what I think. I mean, how could the guy not know? Let me turn that question around. How many here will be honest and say you really are sympathetic towards Samson? You really feel for the guy? We should. What else do you expect from the man? Yeah, he's carnal. There's no two ways about that. He's a very carnal guy, right? And? Right? Are we not? And if his only experience of the Holy Spirit is totally external, it's when the need arises, you go out there and you kill a bunch of Philistines, yeah, I guess God was here, because I won. What else do we expect from him? Is it reasonable, given his carnal nature, to expect anything different? No. Everything about the Spirit, and I'm not excusing the guy's behavior at all, I'm just saying, he's like us. We're like him. And given something, lacking something internal, why should we expect him to act any differently? Right? Now that may sound like I'm faulting the Holy Spirit, like he didn't do his job, but we're not there yet. That explanation will come. What I am saying is this. There is a, a difference, and it's a chasm, between what we experience, or what we're given the opportunity to experience, as people living in the spiritual economy we live in. Post-incarnation, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-day of Pentecost. We are in a drastically different spiritual economy. And there is a huge difference between what is offered to us and what was offered to them living under the law. So much of what we, living in the New Testament economy, accept as a spiritual reality, they just knew nothing of where we have an internal experience, they had an external experience, where our experience is relational, theirs was functional, their connection to the Spirit was totally to a specific purpose, not to a relationship. For us, the relationship is the purpose. And their relationship was occasional. Ours is ongoing, abiding, remaining. For them, the Holy Spirit remained the holy other. That's a phrase theologians came up in the early 20th century to describe the Holy Spirit as being utterly unique, absolutely holy, and completely separate. Well, with the glowing exception of David, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Where that came from, I'm still working on. But with the exception of David, they know nothing of the intimacy of the Spirit of God. For them, the Holy Spirit remained essentially an alien, a foreigner, who, sh who showed up sometimes. Now, why are we taking the time to talk about this? Why is it important to talk about this? Because it's important 
in whatever capacity we can, as we try to understand the work of the Holy Spirit among us, is to, is to see, it helps tremendously to see it from the perspective of those that didn't have it. That same wow effect, having seen the world in black and white, and suddenly it's in color, and that's but a fraction of what we're talking about here. When we read the things that Luke will write about the birth of our Savior, when we read the things that Jesus will say about the presence and the ministry of the abiding Holy Spirit, when we get to the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost and we see these things happen, there should be a huge wow factor. Like, really? You think when Jesus talked to the disciples about the, about the Holy Spirit abiding within them, you think they went, oh, that's cool? No. It was like, did I hear that right? Because I, I don't think he said what I just heard him say, because that's nowhere on my roadmap. That kind of a relationship with the holy other God, I, I don't got that. We want to catch something of the shock and the wonder that they felt, because that will help us appreciate and understand what we have. So that when we read later on in the book about the disciples and others doing those really amazing things like praying for the sick and raising the dead, that won't be the really amazing part. The really amazing part is that the Spirit dwelt within them in a constant abiding, sanctifying way. Imagine trying to live under the Old Testament law without any help at all. None. Here's the law. Live by it. Really. No spiritual help. No sanctifying presence of the Spirit. No conviction in the heart. See, I'm getting into next week, right? Again, the next couple weeks. But doing that alone. Thanks be to God, we don't have to. And I really think it helps us to try to get back into, into their sandals and get that wow factor. Not wow, I just killed 100 Philistines, but wow, he lives in me. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord, and I pray, Father, that as we continue down this, this, this journey uh, of talking about who the Holy Spirit is and trying to grasp what the Holy Spirit does, Lord. Um, mindful, we are talking about you, your Holy Spirit. Father, that you would give us um, not just an appreciation of what you did, but through an appreciation of what you did and an understanding of what you did, Father, an understanding and appreciation of who you are now in our lives. Father, we are blessed by your presence in our midst collectively and in our lives individually in an unimaginable way. Father, keep us from ever taking that for granted. For all of his faults, Father, Samson had an excuse. We don't. Help us, Father, to learn from that and to lean into you with hearts and minds open to you as we contemplate these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship the Lord this morning.